Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. In this weekly podcast, you'll be inspired and equipped through the power of God's Word to live an overcoming life. In this message, Pastor Dave Coop goes through seven different leadership tests that each of us must pass if we want to go to the next level that God has for us. God uses the challenges of life to test our character and spiritual commitment. These are opportunities to prove our potential to lead. And now for this week's message. So today we're going to talk about leadership. All month long we're going to be talking about leadership, devoted leadership. That, of course, is the theme for the year, devotion, devoted. On the back wall we have different words that describe being devoted, focus, genuine, passion, dedicated, loving, loyal, committed, persistent. These are all words that describe being devoted. Now, Throughout the year, church, you know the deal, right? You got one of these bulletins. On the bulletin, there's a little tear away here. This piece here, you tear this off, and uh, you, you, you put this on your fridge, or you, you stick it in the dash of your car, or you, you put it on your iPhone, or you do something. But this is your memory verse for the month, all right? So this is the gold level. The gold level is one verse a month, and today's verse, this week's verse, this month's verse is Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. A great verse to memorize. Have I not commanded you? God's saying, I've commanded you. It's not a suggestion. This is a commandment. He's also given to us. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. God's with you wherever you go. He's not a hitchhiker. He doesn't get off when the going gets tough. Sometimes your friends leave when the going gets tough. And people that said, hey, we're behind you. And when you look, they're way behind you, like 12 miles behind you. I've had that experience. But God, He never, ever leaves you. Even if we've messed up, He doesn't leave us. Sometimes when we mess up, well, when you mess up, you find out who your friends really are. But God is always with you. He said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. One of the promises that Jesus gave us before He was resurrected, taken to heaven, He said, I'll be with you even to the ends of the ages. Wow. So this is a good verse to memorize. Because there's some days you just need to know, I have to be strong. I'm going to be courageous because I got the big guy with me. I'm going to take another step. So it's a good verse to memorize. That's the gold level. Now, there's another level, H&L, whole nother level. And that level is the platinum level where we memorize one verse a week. And so if you're on that, we'll give you another verse next week. You can go to Facebook or website and get the verses for the whole year. And then you come out at the end of the year with 52 verses. How cool is that, knowing 52 verses? Today we're going to talk about devoted leadership. And our first lesson is called the leadership test. If you want to be a leader in life, you will be tested. And really, we're all called to be leaders. Leadership is influence. And you have an influence Maybe in your school you have influence. Maybe in your workplace you have influence. Your family you have influence. In your building you have influence. You ride up and down the elevator. You have influence in your, uh, in your neighborhood, on the team that you play. We all have influence. God needs more strong leaders today. And we're, as a church, we're looking for more strong leaders. We need leaders for life group. We need leaders to host home groups or life groups. We need leaders in Alpha. We need leaders in the church is, a, is one of the best incubators for leadership. You know why? Because if you can lead volunteers, you can lead. That's a great test for leadership because volunteers only show up because it's good and they have a purpose and there's good leadership. You, you don't pay volunteers. They're volunteering. And so church is a great place to learn leadership. And God is 
raising up a new generation of leaders, not just for the church, but to lead in whether it be in government, in the workplace. And so we want to talk about leadership this morning. Leadership has certain tests you have to pass, and that's what we're going to go to today about leadership tests. If you study the scriptures, there's lots of biblical examples of whether it be Moses, whether it be Abraham, whether it be Joshua. James tells us, James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, dear brothers and sisters, they'd be talking to us. He could have said, dear coastal church, whenever trouble comes your way, or some translations say trials or tests, when tests or trials come your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Notice that it says, let it be an opportunity for joy. When troubles come, when challenges come, let tests come, it's not an opportunity to whine. It's not an opportunity to complain. It's not an opportunity to quit. It's an opportunity for joy. Why? Because that test, that trial is designed to mature you, to grow you to the next level of leadership and what you can do with your life. There's perks to leadership, but there's also a price to pay. And those are the tests you take to go through. Tests in school are given so you can know where you're at. Really, it's not for the teacher. The test is for you. I don't know about you, but I'm not really crazy about tests. Uh, when I was in school, I was like, oh, can we just forget the test and just move on? But the teacher said, no, no, you have to take the test so you know where you're at and so you know where you're at. If you have a product, it gets tested before it goes to market. This iPad was tested before it went to market. They would have tested it. They would have made sure that it was good before it was released. And before you're released to the next level you want to go to, there's tests you go through. So the whole idea is you want to pass the test. Uh, it's kind of like grade school. You don't want to have to redo the test. You'd want to pass it and move on and keep growing. I, I don't know about you, but I find sometimes I'll write the tests again. And if I go to another level, I'll find a similar test to keep growing. Tests are there to challenge you, to help us mature, to grow to the potential that we have. Now, when tests come or challenges come or the storms of life come, whatever you want to call them, and for whatever reason they show up, no matter what the cause, they all have the same effect or they reveal the same things in our life. So here's what they reveal. Number one, they'll reveal faith. If you're taking notes, you're filling the blanks. Well, the first thing it's going to reveal is faith. It reveals the level of your faith. Remember, the just shall live by faith. Your faith, folks, is a muscle. And uh, God will bring tests into your life. And as you grow, you ever gone to the gym and you worked out and you started, you know, doing bench press with maybe 50 pounds and then you could do 50 pounds and then you could do 75 pounds. And so it is with leadership. Your faith is tested and you can do more. You lead by faith. You live by faith. So it'll test the level of your faith. It tests the nature of your commitment. If you want to grow and lead things, it's a lot about being committed and being having what we call stickability, so it tests that. It tests the level of your maturity. If we're immature, we tend not to go to the next level and continue to lead. It tests the health of your attitude. You ever hear somebody once say, you know, the, your, your altitude is determined by your attitude? That's really true. And when we're in a test, we find out what's inside of us. We find out what our attitude is like. Now, when it's a sunny day and everybody's singing and the birds are singing and the flowers are blooming, it's okay to have a nice attitude. It's not too hard. But when everything's going wrong and you're in this crucible of a test, then we really find out where your attitude is at. It also is the measure of your teachability. It will reveal your teachability. This is a huge one for growing in leadership. How teachable are we? kind of goes back to the message we had not too long about the way you listen. 
I, I found something not too long ago. It was called the Teachability Index. And I don't know if you've seen this, but basically it's a bell curve. And on one end of this bell curve, there's this factor called arrogance or cynical. And that would be over here. If you're arrogant or cynical, your teachability is near zero. You're very hard to teach anything to. You won't grow. You can't lead. You won't go to the next level because your teachability is so low because you're arrogant, you're cynical. On the other end of this bell curve is being naive and gullible. So those are the two far ends and very hard, very low teachability. But then it comes up and it comes like a bell curve in the middle. And that's where we want to be, at the top of that bell curve, have a high teachability in order to go to the next level. And you know somebody's teachable often just by the way they ask questions, by the way they listen, by the way their attentiveness is, by the way they apply things. So teachability is huge in going to the next level. One of the people that we find in the Bible had a very teachable spirit. It wasn't because he was perfect that he became a great leader, but he, he made mistakes. That's David. We know his life. I kind of like David because I can relate to him. I've made mistakes, and yet God says, you know what, I, I'm still going to use you. Isn't that encouraging? Because maybe you've made mistakes too. You think, God, will you still use me? The answer is yes. Look at the life of David. The one key thing he had was he was teachable. He was quick to come to God. He said, God, I messed up. Forgive me. Help me to grow through this. Help me to learn through this. That's one of the keys to growing in leadership. It says of David in Acts 13, 22, but God removed him, him being Saul, from the kingship and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said... David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart, for he will do everything I want him to. David writes in Psalm 26, verse 2, Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and affections. Psalm 139, 23, David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. <laughs> have you prayed that lately? i got to be honest with you. I have not prayed that lately. God, would you please give me another test? I, I, I don't know. I just seem to find they come without me praying. They kind of just show up without me having to ask for them. David was saying, Lord, test me. I I really want to grow. What a teachable spirit he had. So we're going to go through, blaze through seven leadership tests we have to pass. A number of years ago, I came across a message from one of the best teachers on leadership that I know, John Maxwell, and he had given some of these points. I've woven some of his stuff into this message today. Seven leadership tests. Number one, the test of small things. So if you're taking notes, the first one you want to put is in the blanks, the test of small things. Somebody could say the test of humble beginnings. There's a verse in the Bible that says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. I like the rest of the verse. I think you have it in your notes, Zechariah 4.10. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Have you ever shared an idea? You've got an idea. It's just an idea. It's a humble beginning, and you share it, and you get it out there, and people go, oh, really? And you, you thought your friends would be excited, but they're not so excited. Or you shared it with your banker, and your banker wasn't very excited. And you, and, and you thought, yeah, this is it. And they despised your day of small beginnings. And so they, they kind of put water on it. They dampened it. And you go, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't do that. God says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. I give ideas. I give them in seed form. And you take them and you grow them. And there'll be something fantastic. In leadership, this is a really important test. Because every leader, everybody wants to do something in their life, lead, influence. We are tested in the day of small beginnings. And it seems like in the different phases of life, we're retested on this as well. If you go to Pike Place in Seattle, I like going there and going to the Starbucks there because it's the original Starbucks, 1971. 
that Starbucks was established there. And if you walk into it, you look, wow, look at this. It looks like just another store kind of on that plate, on that road, Pike Place. But you know the Starbucks story. But it had this small beginning. And it took a while before they really grew. It wasn't until the 80s when Howard Schultz came along and all of a sudden that just took off and it hit the J curve, grew exponentially. But Starbucks has this story of humble beginnings. Apple computers, small beginnings. You, you trace back anything who was done and did great. There's this day of small beginnings. Now, if you despise that day and you said, oh, man, this is never going to amount to anything. Let's just quit. Look what they're doing. They're so much better. They had better connections. They got more money. They got this. It's not fair. You never get off the ground. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Every leader has to pass that. When we first started the church here in 1994, February, uh, we were working with the church that helped us get going. At that time, it was Victory uh, Christian Center, Today Relate Church. And we spent the whole month of February. And we got something called a crisscross directory, which gave you the phone number and then the names. And there, we took it for the west end of Vancouver. And we got on the phone, and we literally dialed 30,000 people. 10,000 people would talk to us. That's a lot of people. Back then, people were more receptive to a phone call coming in than they are today. But we spoke to 10,000 people. Then we phoned them back and we spoke to them again. So we spoke to 10,000 people twice. We sent them three pieces of literature and we invited them for our first service, April 15th on a Friday night, at that time the Sheraton Landmark Hotel, now just the Landmark Hotel here on Robson Street. And uh, we were tracking with this company called Phones for You. They had this strategy on how to reach into the community. And, and we're get, tracking back and forth with them. And they said, how's it going? And we said, well, you know, here's the responses that we're getting. And they went through it and they took a thousand responses and they did their, their work with it. And they said, we have come to the conclusion. You are in a highly resistive area. You may want to consider another area. I said, well, we're kind of here to stay. You know, I think we we're really supposed to be here. What, what would you think we could get from all our work? They said, well, normally, the amount of work you're doing, our stats have shown around North America, you should have 400 people. But because you're in a highly resistive area, we estimate you'll have 100 people. We thought, well, Joel, you know, 100 people for the first time in a service, that's pretty good. So we said, well, we'll take that. 100 people would be good. And so... We did that first night, and some people from Relate came, and they helped us get going, and we had, we had some worship, and, and I'm standing at the door, and, okay, God, take those 100 people. It's, it's 7 o'clock, 100 people. God, do I hear 50? <laughs> I, I'd settle for 50. You know, about a quarter after, God, I, I, I'd settle for 20. 20. 20 would be nice. Well, at the end of the day, we had four people show up from the service. And of those four, none of them came back. And so we were off to what we call small beginnings, humble beginnings. And, you know, we, we felt like despising that day. But God had a word for us. Don't, do you not despise the day of small beginnings? I like the rest of that verse again where it says, The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And he may have put something in your heart, and it's a day of small beginning. Others have despised it. Don't you despise it because the Lord's rejoicing to see it get started. It's the first test. Almost every leader has to pass the day of small beginnings, no matter what you do. There's another good verse that goes along with this in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Now, these are the words of Jesus. So if he's speaking it, how many know Then this is truth, right? I just got to put that in the context because this might hurt a little bit this morning. So just hang with me. 
Luke 16, 10, it says, unless you are faithful in small matters. Would you say that with me? Faithful in small matters. You won't be faithful in large ones. The rest of the verse says, if you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. I want to tell you a story that coincides with this. A number of years ago, I heard a great speaker by the name of Peter Daniels. He's from Australia. He's an amazing speaker. He's written a lot of different books. One of my favorite books he wrote is called Miss Phillips, You Are Wrong. And the reason he wrote that book, that was one of the teachers he had in grade school. He failed every year of grade school and went on to work as a laborer. And uh, he came from three generations of, of poverty, of welfare recipients. And uh, he was in his 20s and was hopelessly in debt. But he went to a Billy Graham crusade, and he found Jesus. And his life turned around. He had hope for the first time. He went bankrupt a number of times trying to get out of debt and get going. And in that season of his life, he tells a story. One day he went to work, and he got to work, and, and uh, I don't know how it exactly happened, or his wife called him, or I forget some of the details of the story. But he, I believe it was his wife who let him know that he had left his clothes on the floor when he left the bedroom. And his wife challenged him about, if you can't take care of the small things, how are you going to build a big company? And he said, that day I made a decision. I left my work. I drove back home. I hung out my clothes. And I've never left my bedroom without having all my clothes put away to this day. And he was driving home the point that if you're not faithful to little things, how can God entrust you with bigger things? See, some of us are here today, and we're praying for a promotion. We're praying that God would give us a better job or more money for what we're doing, but God can't answer your prayer. The reason He can't answer your prayer is because you're not faithful to what He's already given you. You're asking, God, I want more. I want this. I want that. But God cannot do it because you haven't been faithful with a little. If we're not faithful with what He has, it's impossible for Him to answer the prayers and to give you more. Mr. and Mrs. Amen have now left the building, I see. <laughs> This is a law. This is what we need to teach our children. Here's why you need to do the dishes afterwards. Here's why your shoes should be clean. Here's why your room should be neat. Here's why your resume should be put in order. Because if you're not faithful to this, God cannot give you more. They have to be faithful a little. If you cheat even a little bit, he said, if you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Let me ask you, if you've got an employee and they're working for you and they cheat just a little bit out of the till, they take just a quarter or just a, a loony now and then, will you entrust them with more? Would you put them in charge of your books? I don't think so. So this is a principle that we have to pass, faithful with little, faithful in the small, so we can go to the next level. It's a test we all have to pass. All right, David passed that test. We're going to use David as an example today. David was chosen by Samuel to be the next king to replace Saul. His dad lines up all the boys. Samuel's come to pick the next king to anoint him. David doesn't make the lineup. He's out taking care of the sheep. We pick up the story, 1 Samuel 16, 11. It's in your notes. Then he asked Jesse, that's David's dad, Samuel speaking, is this it? Are there any more sons? Now listen to his dad's response. Well, yes, there's the runt. That's the of David. If you've had a, a litter of dogs or what a, the runt is a little dog or the little one that just doesn't look like it's going to quite make it, and this is what he calls David. But he's out there tending the sheep. Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. And so you know what? That's, 
That, this was David. And he, he, but he was doing the little things. He was a really good shepherd. He was taking care of the small things. When the lion came, he took care of the lion. When the bear came, he took care of the bear. And David ended up being a shepherd over a nation. Why? Because he was a good shepherd with the little things. We must pass the small things test. And you can find out if somebody's able to do it, just follow them around for a day. Just follow somebody for a day, and you'll figure out pretty soon if they're even going to make it to the next step by what they're doing. What are their priorities? How do they start their day? How do they finish their day? What do they read? What do they watch? How do they relate with people? Uh, you just start following them. How do they, what is your daily routine? Your daily routine will be a reflection whether or not you can pass this leadership test and go to the next level. And I pray God give us a desire. Give us a desire to rise up and be champions. Not to be content where we're at, but say, God, yes, you've called me for greater things. I want to lead. I want to go on and do, make a great difference in my life. So I was meeting recently, and they were talking about people in Vancouver, and it was a, they were sharing. A, this, this individual lived in a number of different cities, and he said, you know, I, I, there's something a little bit different about Vancouver. He said, what I found is when I would go to other cities, when people made it in their cities, they really wanted to give back to their city in a big way. He said, I find in Vancouver that people move here, they like this city because it has so much to offer, and when they've made it, they cash out, they buy property, something else, but they don't invest it back and give back into this community like I've seen in other cities. And I know that's not true for everybody, but they said, we found it a little bit different in this city. I think we should change that. I think as churches, we said, no, we're here to lay down our lives. It's not about us. We're going to make a difference, and we're not going to be, we're going to rise up, whether it be in our workplace, whether it be in our families, whether it be in our communities, but we'll rise up. We're not going to be whimsical about it. We're not going to miss opportunities. We're going to have initiative, and we're going to make a difference. Amen. All right. Number two. It's the motive test. So if you're, you're filling in the blanks, the next one you want to put up there is the motive test. And, uh, and this is all about why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you have what you have? David was tested on this. You know what happened is Goliath had come, and he was challenging the, the army of Israel. He was taunting them for 40 days, 40 days, over a month. Every day, Goliath comes out, and he calls them a bunch of weaklings. And he bugs him. He trash talks. He's in their face, trash talking the army. You're a bunch of wimps. Come fight me. And they all go back and say, oh, I can't fight. And they're, they're, they're frozen in fear. David was watching his sheep. And his dad says, David, would you please take this food, feed your brothers, get out there. I got some cheese and bread and so forth. So David comes out there and he looks up and he goes, what in the world is going on? Goliath comes out there and he trash talks everybody. And David sees this, and he goes, wait a minute. I don't care how big that dude is, God is on our side. And if God be for us, who can be against us? This battle belongs to the Lord, guys. We can do this. I've killed a lion, and God was there. I killed a bear, and he was there. And I think God can take care of Goliath. So he says, all right, who do I talk to? Let me fight this guy. So he's looking around for this, who to to Saul. He's trying to get to the king so he gets permission to go fight him. And his older brother Eliab hears about it. Eliab's ticked off. Here's my run brother showing up with the food, and he wants to take on Goliath. Right. And so we pick up the verse in verse number uh, 28, 29 of 1 Samuel 17. 
Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, what do you, why did you come here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Can you take a little bit of a dig in that? Where's your few little sheep there, David? Your small things. I know your pride and innocence of your heart. You have come, you've just come down here to see the battle. And I love what David says. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Isn't there a cause? He's like, I've had it. This guy's making me upset. He's mocking my God. He's mocking our people. Somebody's got to do something. And this is not about having my name on a plaque. It's not about me having a position. It's about me making a change in my country. And that's where we have to be, this motive test. I'm not at UGM volunteering. I'm not at my company to do this. I'm not for a corner office. I'm not. I am here because there's a cause, and that's what's driving me to do this thing. And every one of us, if we're going to grow as leaders, we must pass the motive test. I'm not in it for a bigger salary. I'm not just in it for this. I'm in it because I want to make a difference. Starbucks succeeded because the cause was, let's have a third place where people can come. And they saw the need. They saw the cause. That's what drove it. And when we see a cause, whether it be in our workplace, in our communities, that we have to pass that motive test to move forward. All right. Number three is the wilderness test. So if you're taking notes, the third one you want to put down there is the wilderness test. Now, Sharon and I came up with another word for the wilderness test. You could also put in DU, the DU test. DU test now stands for Desert University. You may have gone to SFU or UBC or some other university, McGill University, but there is something called DU, Desert University. Now, here's, actually, it's the good news. Whether you like it or not, God enrolls you in DU. You get, if you want to follow the Lord, there's a season where you have to go through the desert. From Egypt to the promised land, you're in desert university. Moses went, Paul went, every great leader goes through the desert university. What you don't want to do is drop out of school, because guess what? You just go back to the beginning and you start desert university all over again. I've gone through more than one course at Desert University. I know I've got my bachelor's at DU, but it seems like God asked me to go back and do my master's, and he's asked me to go back and do a few more courses. We end up going through more than one time at DU, it seems like. But there are times when you feel like in life, God, where are you? This feels very dry. I'm in a place of pain or my place of challenge. I'm a place with God. I just, this is not the promised land yet. And it's in those places that we really, really are groomed and shaped for what God's got ahead of us. And sometimes it can be very surprising, the curves that life throws us, and we find we're at that place where, God, where are you? This is a very trying place for me to be right now. And our heart goes out today to Pastor Rick Warren and his family because I think they're finding themselves in a place something like this. Yesterday, I got an email that was forwarded that went out to his church family. And, of course, their church has been a huge help to us many times. We've used things that they've exported to other churches to be successful. and We've adapted them. And we appreciate the, the leadership that Rick Warren has had uh, in the body of Christ, not only his local church but around the world. But here's his email that he sent to the church family yesterday. Over the past 33 years, we've been together through every kind of crisis. Kay and I have been privileged to hold your hands as you faced a crisis or loss, stand with you at the graveside, and prayed for you when ill. Today, we need your prayer for us. 
No words can express the anguish, grief we feel right now. Our youngest son, Matthew, age 27, a lifelong member of Saddleback, died today. You who watched Matthew grow up knew he was an incredibly kind, gentle, and compassionate man. He had a brilliant intellect and a gift for sensing who was most in pain or most uncomfortable in a room. He'd then make a beeline to that person to engage and encourage them. But only those closest knew that he struggled from birth with mental illness, dark holes of depression, and even suicidal thoughts. In spite of America's best doctors, meds, counselors, and prayers for healing, the torture of mental illness never subsided. Today, after a fun evening, together with Kay and me, in a momentary wave of despair at his home, he took his life. Kay and I have often marveled at his courage to keep moving in spite of relentless pain. I'll never forget how many years ago, after another approach had failed to give relief, Matthew said, Dad, I know I'm going to heaven. Why can't I just die and end this pain? But he kept going for another decade. Thank you for your love and prayers. We love you back, Pastor Rick. And so today I thought, let's join. Let's pray for another pastor. Pray for Kay, for their family, for their church. And uh, they're in that place of just God, I need you. I need strength. Let's pray for them. Father, we just take a moment to pray for another church. We pray for other churches. We pray for other pastors. And right now they need our prayers. We pray for Rick Warren. We pray for Kay. Lord, he's way out in front often taking shots as kind of the lead goose. And we pray today that you'd surround them with strength, with encouragement. Lord, may you be the one that gives them comfort as they go through this process of grieving the loss of their son. Lord, the, the needs in that local church today, Lord, would you help that church? And we just take a moment, pray for their family, and ask God that you go with them. In Jesus' name, amen. The wilderness test. Did David have a wilderness test? He had more than one wilderness test. At one point in his life, David is banished from his country. That's like you getting kicked out of Canada. You, you cannot come back to Canada. He can't come back to his country. Then in the other country that he went to, they get mad at him. He'd gone with his army out and they'd done some work and they came back after some fighting and they had this certain town that they were staying at. Some raiders came in and they wiped out the town and took everybody with them. Nobody had died, but they'd taken everybody with them. So David comes back into that town with his army and they go, Dave, uh, where's my family? Where's my kids? And they look at David and they're going, you're going down. This is all your fault. And so they're about to stone David. And now, now he's got his country against him. The other country that he was in was against him. His army's against him. He is in a wilderness. He is in a hard place. But what David did there was absolutely key because it helped him to pass the test. David didn't look for a bottle. He didn't look for an escape that way. Instead, it says that he went and he got strength from the Lord. Another translation says he went and he encouraged himself in the Lord. There is one way through the wilderness, and that is to stay really, really, really close to Jesus. Because you'll feel sometimes like you're all alone. You feel like, God, where are you? I am in one of the hardest places of my life. At that time, you've got to keep your vision clear. You've got to keep your hope going. And sometimes it's one step at a time, but you just keep going. Take one day at a time. You will come out of this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's a valley. It's not a cave. You're not going to hit a dead end. You will come through it. This is for somebody this morning. Just take another step. This will pass. You'll get through it. But don't quit. Keep your vision. Keep hope alive. Keep moving forward. And encourage yourself in the Lord. You go back and you read the Scriptures. You keep praying. This is a test. You will be stronger. You'll be better equipped, and you will make it, and God's going to use it for His glory. So don't quit in this test. All right, we've got to move on. The fourth test is the integrity test, and uh, 
if you want to fill in that blank, write down the word integrity. Every leader will have his, his integrity tested. And uh, sometimes there's a saying uh, that, that fits here that um, what you compromise to keep, you end up losing. And uh, sometimes we're, we're tested on, well, uh, just, just, let, just fudge a little bit on this or fudge a little bit on that. And you don't want to do that. You want to pass the integrity test. Joseph is a great example of somebody who did that. Don't compromise when your ethics or values are under pressure. And David found himself in that situation many times. It says of David in Psalm 78, he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes that had young, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people. And Israel, his inheritance. He took him from taking care of sheep, small things, to taking care of a nation. So he shepherded them according to what? The integrity of his heart and guided him by the skillfulness of his hands. David was really skillful with the slingshot. Lots of practice to be as good as he was. His, if you read about David's mighty men, take time to hunt down David's mighty man in the Scripture. There's a chapter on them. These were incredibly... Uh, they, these were the Green Beret, Navy SEALs. They were, they were the best of the best. And with, with either hand, they were deadly accurate with their slingshot. Lots of practice. David's integrity and skillfulness, those things that he learned, taking care of sheep at that phase, were all transferred into leadership and allowed him to do great things. He passed the integrity test. Number five, I've got to keep moving on here for the sake of time, is the authority test. The authority test is a test of your attitude and willingness to submit to God-given authority. And everyone who wants to go to another level of leadership, you will be tested on this. Sometimes it'll be your boss saying, here's what I need to be done. And you're like, I don't think that makes sense. I don't want to do it. And your ability to lead and go to the next level is being tested right there. Or it's in your home. David passed that test in his home. When his dad said, I want you to go take care of the sheep, he was doing it. Even though the way he was treated wasn't very good, he still submitted to his father's leadership. When he was asked to take the food out to his brothers, it said David did as was commanded of him. Later on in the story, when he becomes, before he becomes king, Saul is hunting him down. David's on the run. He's hiding in a cave, and Saul is down there hunting him down. Saul wanted to take him out, take his life. David sneaks down there. He could have killed him in the cave, but instead of killing him, he takes out his knife. He cuts off the edge of Saul's garment, and when Saul leaves, he snuck up on him. He says, I could have taken your life, but I didn't. My men said, take your life, but I didn't do it because I did want to touch God's anointed. He understood the power and the, and the, the importance of submission to leadership. And everyone who wants to grow leadership and do more, you have to understand the importance of passing that test. If you rebel, if you say it's all about me, if you have attitude there, very hard to grow in your leadership. And so that's an important test that we have to follow. John Maxwell said, a leader who is unwilling to submit to authority should not be followed. Enough said. Powerful statement. Okay, number six is the forgiveness test. This is a test where we're offended and we need to forgive others. Martin Luther said, forgiveness is not an occasional act, but it's a permanent attitude. How often should we forgive? Seventy times seven, according to Jesus, when Peter asked him about it. Did David have an opportunity to forgive? Did he? Absolutely. Saul, as I said, was hunting him down. He had said, go get David, even in his household, go kill David. David, Saul dies in war, but later on, after Saul is dead, years later, you know what David does? He says, where's the household of Saul? Are there anyone yet living from the household of Saul that I could bless? 
He didn't say that I could get back, revenge them. He was living in an attitude of forgiveness. And that is often tested. If we let bitterness, unforgiveness creep into our heart, it just acts like a resistor for God to use us. And when you stand praying, it says in Mark 11, forgive. If you have ought against anyone, forgive them. The Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. Forgiveness is so important, and we have to pass that test. You'll have people do you wrong in business. You'll have people do you wrong in your home. You'll have people do you wrong in life. This is a test that you seem you have to keep writing it over and over and over. But every time you want to go from one level to the next level, if you're saying, God, use me as a leader in my home, in my place, in my community, this is a test we have to pass. Can we pass it? Absolutely. Why? Because he's forgiven us. We have, been, we have a download of huge forgiveness, and so we can forgive others around us. So that's important, the forgiveness test. And the last one, stay with me just for a second because we've got to get this all. This is the lordship test. This is the testing of our heart when it's hard to obey him, the lordship test. Wow. David wore a lot of different hats. David was a politician. He had the politician hat on. David was a businessman. He had that businessman's hat on. David was a rancher. He had a rancher hat on. David was a warrior. He had a soldier's hat on. Like I mentioned, he was Green Beret, Navy SEALs, Gurkha soldier. This is David. He's incredibly, he's a warrior. He's, David's a man's man. David was a musician. David was a poet. David was all these things. Now, they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. I won't go to all the details, of it, but they're bringing it back into, into, into Jerusalem. David's leading the procession. And as they're coming back in there, you would think, now this is just me, but I would think David would have his buttons all done up. Dum, dum, da, dum. Very stoic. Dum, dum, da, dum. Here comes the ark. Dum, everybody in order. Dum, dum, da, dum. That's kind of the way I would think he's coming. But this is not David. Oh, no. Remember, he is the king, the politician, the businessman, toughest soldier they had, trained soldiers in battle, poet, musician. He's all these things. You know what David's doing? This is what he's doing. Whoa, I worship God. Woo, 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 woo. Oh, my congregation thinks I'm nuts. Woo, 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 woo. Ah, yeah, he's dancing and twirling. And he's, why? He's Lord over my life. I don't care what you're thinking. He is Lord over my life. His wife is watching this from the window. And she goes, oh, my goodness. What will the housewives of Jerusalem say about this? And she's, she's so like, oh, I can't believe this. So she chews him out when he comes home. He's excited. He's, yeah, he's coming home. He's, can't wait to be with my wife. Tell her about all this. He's really excited. And she goes, man, you so embarrassed me today. And here's his response. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. In other words, you're not Lord of my life. He's Lord of my life. We, who choose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this. And will be humble in my own sight. Paraphrase. He's my Lord, and I'm going to worship him with all my might. That was a lordship test. Yeah. Amen. Well, let's close in prayer this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We covered a lot of different tests today. The last one, the lordship test, I want to give you an opportunity to 
respond to that. You might be here today and you've never opened up your heart and received his lordship. That's where we surrender and say, God, I think you'd be a better manager of my life than I am. I know you're real. You love me. You sent Christ to die for my sins and I want to be new on the inside. I receive you into my life. So I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer. We'll all pray together where you too can experience this God-given relationship through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, this Sunday morning, I open up my heart. I invite you into my life. I accept what Jesus did when he died and rose again that I could have life. Today I make a decision to accept you into my life. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to live a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.